Well, here we are. We uh, finally got a few minutes alone to get this vision going. We've been talking about doing a podcast for about two months. We have. And we, we have. are here Hi, at Stevie. home. We're sitting by the fire. Around the fire. It's a cool October day. And our children are at a friend's house. Being taught. Being getting some education. That's new. The whole homeschooling project. (laughs) It's underway. We're it is definitely a project. Learning as we go. (laughs) Yes. And Uh. (laughs) Yeah, it's wild. We are excited to offer a series episodes is on Electric Storm, this uh, incredible collection of paintings that you've created. And while painting, you have done a tremendous amount of research. And of course, you've had profound uh, experiences with temporal epilepsy. We want to talk about the brain, consciousness, and our humanity in relationship to temporal lobe epilepsy. I'm just thinking how it's only been two and a half years since I've been diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy. And I have done a voluminous amount of research since then. And it is, the diagnosis helped me because it made sense of my whole life in a way that I was never able to make sense of it. All the challenges that I've had when I finally went to see neurologists, it had gotten pretty bad and it stayed bad for a while. Mm. <laughs> Having experienced so many different forms of medication and physicians, non-Western medicine perspectives, I just feel a sense of gratitude for all the things that have been given and all the things that I've been able to experience that have helped me get better. So right now, as I speak, it has been a whole year since I've had a major seizure. So I am big seizure free for a year and I have been off of medication since February and I have not had a seizure, which is Mm. a really big deal. It is a big deal. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that have contributed to that state of wellness. Right on. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. A lot. We've really, it's been like. And it's the get across the gamut, right? We're not here to uh, put down our Western medical system. No, I mean, it's been life saving. It has. Yeah. And it's, it's helped along the way, like a band aid, right? And then, but it doesn't always allow you to get to the deeper healing. It yeah, it stabilizes you when you right. are stabilizes. in deep trouble. Yeah. It doesn't resolve exactly the deep-seated imbalances. Right. Yeah. We're here today is to go deeper into what can resolve the deeper-seated imbalances. Right, because there's a lot less discussion online about that I think that there's a lot of resources about different forms of medication that you can take I think it's also important to talk about the challenge of taking different anti-epileptic drugs Um, there's just certainly there's just more there's just so much so much more 
education that needs to take place uh, around epilepsy and empathy for it and also educating people who suffer epilepsy about the many different perspectives on seizures. So it's for people that have epilepsy, mm-hmm. temporal lobe epilepsy. Especially, yeah. Especially. And then I, I think it's people just suffering with neurological conditions, um, yeah. people feeling really off balance with the speed of the world and the times that we're in. Right, because what you're learn. talking about with seizures is a, a brain that's unwell on some level. Right. And anytime you're moving towards healing or health brain health what's intrinsically good for the human brain i think is more of our question right we're always trying to move towards that yeah and one thing that you said in the past that epilepsy gives you a a seat at the buffet table of neurological or mental illness yeah you can experience the gamut and i know that oftentimes epilepsy is associated with depression yeah that's true. Yeah, it's, it's it's I think it's one of the most common comorbid psychiatric comorbidities with epilepsy. And certainly I've experienced that uh, especially in conjunction with the seizures. They seem well, to all come together. And why are we doing it right now? Yeah. Uh, one of the things is that November is Epilepsy Awareness Month. Yes. And so we want to help people become more aware of epilepsy. Yeah, like let's just move into education. And here's the thing. So I was at Yale Hospital last year, and everything was about the objective perspective of epilepsy, which is appropriate in a medical setting. We're talking about objectivity as much as possible. However, I really wanted to talk to somebody about what it was like. And there was just no room for the subjective experience of epilepsy. And that is some of that. That is one of the reasons that I've started to talk about it uh, publicly. I think it's important to talk, speak subjectively about epilepsy because it is such an intense experience internally. I was always looking at different threads on epilepsy.com, just trying to find people's experience of their seizures because you have this weird crazy experience and then it's like am I the only one I can't be the only one like what is it like for people and does anyone understand me yeah one of the motivations for speaking right now is to just talk about my experience I hope that there is someone out there who's suffering who feels understood is that a big part of it for you is that well obviously when you were at Yale you didn't feel understood. You I didn't did not feel, feel understood. Listened to, or that anybody really cared. I didn't feel like anybody cared. I feel like I was a cog in a machine. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. It was just my f- friend who has temporal lobe epilepsy too. She said it's just sometimes it just feels like a transaction. I said, yeah, it's like going to the bank, you know. And she and I we both want to be cared about. I feel like with healing, healing has to include feeling cared about. I heard the other day that even mentioning the word healing in medical communities is often shunned. Why is that? Because it's about treatment. It's about treating symptoms. It's not necessarily about healing the underlying causes. 
it's it mm. and I, maybe it puts too much pressure upon the system to mm. actually have to heal people mm. and maybe the profit model that you don't necessarily want people to get a hundred percent better mm. then you wouldn't need you know there's that system but mm. that's another topic that is Ooh, buddy yeah that's, that's a rabbit a, hole yeah that's a big topic <laughs> so let's let's get into some stats about epilepsy just to give people an awareness of how common it is 50 million people worldwide have epilepsy making it one of the most common neurological diseases according to the epilepsy foundation one in ten people will experience a seizure throughout their life and one in 26 will develop epilepsy so we don't realize it but as a society we demand a high level of functionality we indirectly punish those with epilepsy yes. when in reality they need a lot of support yep. from their coworkers, family, friends, and the community. One of the things that you've uncovered in your research that I have found fascinating is that oftentimes people with epilepsy and temporal lobe epilepsy are incredible uh, leaders and visionaries in our society mm. and you mentioned something about the highly sensitive person that they mm. will do um, put into a negative environment they'll do really poorly but put into a positive environment they'll excel even greater than the rest of the group yeah so that's um, yeah so two things I wanted to kind of unravel there or unpack, I guess is the word now, is um, we know now that to have creativity, you have to have neuron excitation, neural excitation. Um, it's people who tend towards the neuronal hyper, hyper excitability end of the spectrum that are also very creative. And what we also know is that neuronal hyperexcitation is the root. This is theoretical, but there's so much good evidence for it. Is the root of many psychiatric diseases. And there's a beautiful paper out there about um, how... We should stop talking about people that tend towards mental illness. Stop talking about them as a vulnerable population and start talking about them as a highly sensitive population. Because when you have someone with high creativity, high neuron excitation, um, you have someone who is sensitive. They have a nervous system that can be influenced more easily. And what we now know is that when you put them in a positive environment, like you said, when you put them in a positive environment, they do better than the general public. When you put them in a positive environment, they do better than the general public. When you put them in a negative environment, they do worse 
than the general public. All about the environment. Well, whatever they're given is multiplied. Whatever is given is multiplied. Multiplied. Wow. And how about your research of some luminaries and incredible people that have temporal lobe epilepsy and their contributions to society? Yeah, well, there's so many. <laughs> um, Let's just get a little overview, and then on a episode... We can go deeper. Go into the people. Okay, it. well, let's do the short list. I mean, Harriet Tubman. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Socrates. Uh, Dostoevsky. Um, Vincent van Gogh. Alfred Lord Tennyson. Edgar Allan Poe. Emily Dickinson. Wow. Yeah. That's a pretty good list. That is a solid list. Oh, St. Paul of Ephesus and certainly Mohammed. Wow. And probably Moses. Mm. Also Kierkegaard. Did you say Joan of Arc? Joan of Arc. That was one of your favorites. Yeah, she is. <laughs> I hear there's even a painting. <laughs> Or two. <laughs> three. <laughs> two or three. You know, and and that's another part that I was so proud and just in awe over was your commitment to your painting while you were in the depths of struggle and pain with your TLE. You just kept on painting and you created this really incredible collection of paintings and we want to also get get into that mm -hmm. and one of the other books you came across was seized mm -hmm. and how temporal lobe epilepsy is a artistic phenomenon mm -hmm. so how is that related mm -hmm. in, in your I, experience I, as I an think, artist i think that uh, on some level it's dissatisfaction and pain that moves us to create something and uh, seizures create suffering for me and it becomes a necessity to put that to make some sort of creative act to kind of process and handle it and also oftentimes with my seizures I have visions and I just have to get it out somehow so <laughs> yes I was having seizures but yes I was also getting a lot of content and disturbance and that sort of necess that, that necessitated art for me like I was thinking this morning about how I was <laughs> like looking into the woods and I saw Elijah and Who's Elijah? He was uh, one of the, the, uh, the uh, he was a prophet. He was a, uh, 
Jewish prophet thousands of years ago. You saw him this morning? I know. I saw him. I know. I, I saw him one day. And it's, you know, it's bizarre. Like, who, how, how, how do you know? That kind of thing. But I, I, it just was there. It was very clear. And there he was. And he was speaking. And um, I think that, you know, when your your mind stops on some level, there's another kind of mind that exists. And I think that when you have seizures you lose something from the regular world but then you gain something from the other world and Dostoevsky talked about that you know the sicker you become the more contact you get with that other world um I found that to be true for myself is that why it's hard sometimes to operate in a world that's so left brain dominated is I it, find it, it it's excruciating sometimes <laughs> Is it the left and right brain we're talking about um, here, or no, is it I don't something think so. even more? Yeah, complex? I think I, I think it's I think it's yes and maybe I should say yes mm-hmm. and. Yeah. Well, speak to the excruciating part of trying to exist in a world that's oftentimes highly insensitive, mm-hmm. shallow, mm-hmm. Uh, always in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I remember, I'll give it a specific example. I was taking a class in Hartford and I had a seizure there. I was doing ketogenic, but I ate some chocolate and it was dumb. But anyway, I had a, like a, I guess mild seizure where I didn't like lose consciousness, but I had these like hallucinations. I could see my foot like floating above my head. I was like, Oh God. (laughs) So I went and, um, you know, there's this feeling of like metal bending, like, like the world is starting to warp. So I went into, uh, we were in a large building. So I went into a dark room and, um, I stayed there. And then after a while, I, felt like I was all right and I left the room and I went back to the class and someone had given me a ride which was really nice because I wasn't driving at the time because of the seizures and we rode back together and the woman I was riding with or who was driving there was this tendency to complain and also kind of be uh, vicious is not the right word, but just, uh, what are they doing? Oh, and you know what else? Have you ever been with people who are, uh, huh? yeah. So it was one of those. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> she I was know in, exactly what you Yeah, it's about. Okay. So she was in that zone, right? Right. Addicted. It, I've heard it called addicted to suffering. Yeah. You could call it that yeah. or just, and then liking to bring on some company. Yeah. Yeah. It was, a, it was that kind of, Thing. let's have a party i don't know if it's a pity party but it's a party around drama and suffering yeah yeah it, well yeah i mean it, yeah that might be that might be over stating <laughs> it but it was it it was it was negative it was negative talk right okay so it felt like sandpaper on my heart i was feeling i felt this deep connect deep sensitivity and part of deep sensitivity is 
a kind of empathic relationship with everything. So an insult to another person next to us, I could feel that insult and it was painful. And I felt a su- I was suffering in her presence and it was a pain in my heart. I could feel it. And I do know this about after a seizure, I become extremely sensitive um, to word and deed. Like when we're with the kids, it's just like, oh my God, they're just beautiful and tender and just everything seems so, so precious. So when you're in a world that just hits deer on the highway and they just rot on the side of the highway, that's the world we live in. Uh, yeah, it's painful. I think it's painful for people who are mildly sensitive, but if you have a situation where you have this like flare up of sensitivity, so to speak, it hurts because you care. Mm -hmm. And I've been reading about the intercardiac nervous system and I have a working hypothesis right now where when you have a seizure, the brain becomes less effective and that the heart may be coming online more. Wow. Because it's a different, um, it is a brain because it exists. Um, sorry. It, it is a brain. It has executive control of the heart and it gives the brain more information than the brain gives the heart. So the heart, gives the brain more information than the brain gives the heart. Yes. There are more ascending neurons in the vagus nerve than descending. Wow. And the vagus nerve is located where? It's called wondering, um, uh, from Latin for wondering. So it goes actually all the way into our intestines. And there's a front and a back of that nerve. It's an enormous nerve. Wow. I'm thinking of the tailbone. Is that part of it? I like, don't I have to look at a picture. Okay. Because I was recently listening to a Taoist or Taoist uh, teacher mm. talk about three brains. Mm. One in the belly, one in the heart, and one in the brain. Mm. You know, the head. Mm. 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 That's important stuff. A super highway yeah. of information. Yeah. And it yeah. doesn't it seem like the scientific current medical approach just deals with the one brain in the head and doesn't connect with the heart or the gut. We don't have enough information. We need more information, more research. Like it's exciting what's been done. I mean, there's people who are really pioneering it. There are, um, people have, um, is it George Washington university? Or George Mason, I'm not sure. Thomas Jefferson University, I think. They just mapped out a rat heart with all the neurons. Uh, It's pretty impressive. The intracardiac nervous system of a rat heart, which is incredible. Wow. Yeah. It's just so much to learn. There's a lot to learn. So you went to Yale. Mm -hmm. You didn't exactly get the help that you wanted. 
Well, I tell you what, I brought all my art, I brought my writing, and in my mind, I was like, I'm going to a teaching hospital, and I'm going to talk to people about my experience, and they're going to help me understand it, and I'm going to get better, and it was like, yeah, you need to keep coming back for another test until you have a seizure, and um, you've already tried the medications, and so you could try brain surgery or it was just horrifying it was we were like ah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean there's yeah there's people that have to have brain surgery and my heart really goes out to them i guess from my own perspective it was really freaking me out i was like run we just we were we ran away and we ran away and i said let's go check out my friend charles you pick me up lives in the forest up in massachusetts who's a credible body worker cranial sacral therapist we should probably say steve that they threatened to keep me right they said i was afraid i was getting locked in there it was kind of a it was i was scared or should I not say that? <laughs> you yeah. could say whatever you want. I was, I was really I, scared. That's a feeling saying. that you had, whether it's, you know, a reality or no, not. No, they told me later, um, they're like, no, that's not a reality. But I was so scared. Because my mom, okay, so I should also backtrack. There's neurological issues in my family. And my grandmother was locked up for, for them. And my mother was locked up. Um. So I was, it was kind of terrifying being there. Is that common that people were locked up because of neurological, or is it schizophrenic or is it? Yeah. I mean, it was pretty normal to be locked up as a woman with a psychological issue. But yeah, my, my grandmother was schizophrenic and then my mom had child onset, child onset migraines. And then she was locked up for that at age 12. That, that to me was pretty spooky. That, those were all these, always the scary, scary stories of my childhood. And I thought it was happening to me. When you mean, when you say locked up, what, what do you mean? Can you that get you, more specific? You're, you're taken to a mental hospital and the, the lock is on the outside. Really? Yeah. So you're locked in a mental institution uh, against your will. And you're you're locked in a room. And that happened to your grandmother, my grandmother, and, and your mother. mom. And you were worried that it was going to happen to you. It was, mm. yeah. Because they said you're going to be here for a long time. Really? It, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Kind of in an intimidating voice. It was. <laughs> I f- totally freaked out. Yeah. You were not looking good when I came to pick you up. I was not. No, was you not were good. like seriously traumatized for almost a couple months. Yeah, it was. So maybe we'll get into that. Yeah. Yeah. So you said that's it. Another time. You said that's it. I'm taking you to see Charles. Yeah. Which was the complete 
opposite approach <laughs> of, of our Western medical system that I sort of, in this fantasy world, thought if you're going to the best place in the world to mm-hmm. treat epilepsy, mm-hmm. there's going to be like people listening and caring and wanting to know about your art. I, I, I was know. living in I a was, fantasy world, I was world in a too. fantasy world, too. I thought I was like, I'm going to make a friend and they're going to have studied temporal lobe epilepsy and we're going to talk. And then they're going to know about a new way to manage it where I won't have to go on a medication that makes me psychotic. And then I'll be all better and it'll be great. That was my that was my fantasy. And I don't want to underplay that. Charles is also an engineer, a s- kind of a scientific mind. Like he approached mm-hmm. it in a way that worked with your body, that that your body is like the storehouse. He's or a the professor. Warehouse. He's a professor. I mean, we're not he talking teaches, woo-woo yeah, here. No. We're talking about somebody that... His knowledge of anatomy or, is yeah. beyond. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you give a little overview of what you've experienced working with Charles in craniosacral uh, as a critical or pivotal piece in your healing. Not the whole piece, of course, but a big chunk. I don't think it would have happened without Charles. And at the same time, yes, it includes so so much. Um, you know, he is more than one thing. And I think that that's the key. He says that healing is a sacred thing and it's also an altered state. And he said, you know, you're sensitive and it would make sense that you would have some short circuits um, he said that you were hurt significantly, you know, the head trauma from your accidents and ensuing falls. Um, and that has to be resolved. And, you know, if the body, <laughs> so he said, I didn't have any cranial rhythms on the right side of my brain. And it kind of matched up with my seizures. I shouldn't say kind of. I mean, it did match up with my seizures, right? You know, right brain seizures. Um, and he can sense that with his hands. I think that's the miraculous part about Charles that can never ceases to amaze me is that he puts his hands at the base of my skull or at my feet, and he can sense any pain in the body. Like when I first started seeing him, uh, I had shoulder spasms. Like it was so normal. Um, And I also had like this jump in my shoulders, which was also normal for me. Um, But I don't have it that often anymore. And it's like those nerves are not misfiring like they used to. I think there was this kind of pivotal point where he was holding the base of my skull, which is, he does that every time I go. And I felt this lightning go through the center of my head. Yeah. 
it was like a burning feeling yeah yeah like hot burning and yeah i i said you know i told him i felt that and he said yeah well that's the cranial entrance nerve and there is some nerve damage but we're gonna work with it and he said but i'm sure that's old news I said, what do you mean? No, no, no one's ever told me I had nerve damage. And he said, well, uh, yeah, (laughs) he's really gentle. Like he never says anything bad about me, but he's like, um, yeah, you know, you, you can just feel the muscles, the, the muscles are, they, they are lacking in tone and that, and that can show some nerve damage and, um, he always says things like in a really gentle way, but he was just basically like, yeah, like you can tell that you're the, the um, vagus nerve and the cranial entrance nerve have damage. Um, you can just feel it when you put your hands on the muscle and the, the nerve. And he said, but I'm, I'm sure you, I know you've seen a lot of neurologists, so they've probably told you that already. I said, no, I, no one ever put their hands on me. He said, no one ever touched you? I said, no, no one ever touched my head or anything like that. It was just silence. And that's when I realized the divide between being treated by him and being treated by the other neurologists that I had gone to. They had helped me with very uh, powerful medication, which I remain grateful for. Um, but no one actually touched my muscle to to feel that it was wasting away wow (laughs) yeah and then it was like not long after that i um i was having trouble with my vision and i i went to the optometrist and he was like yeah you know you've got optical nerve damage which for me was concerned about that and I you know I have to go back regularly make sure that my I keep my vision um, but all those things were just never looked into in in my care maybe if we had more high-end doctors they would do that but certainly not what I encountered mm. Mm. So going to see him, uh, I thought of it also as he held the space for your body to enter into deeper altered states or yeah, like even just deep relaxation. Which I think is a necessity. gave your body a chance to rewire itself to, yeah, yeah. you know, I often heard it explained as like pulsating to a higher expression of health yeah like the body organism is constantly seeking Mm -hmm. equilibrium and balance but our stressed out hectic pace world doesn't allow the time or the space to get into that deep deep relaxation and and also under the guidance of a truly skilled healer 
Yeah, he's also a triple black belt in Aikido. Yeah. He's got, yeah, he knows a few things. So a healer that can kick some ass. Right, (laughs) right. (laughs) Well, I remember I was, I was so stunned with how much it was helping me. Like I felt like my vision was better. I felt clearer. I didn't, I stopped suffering from headaches, which had gotten totally out of control. I was starting to have those ice pick headaches where it just feels like they're, you're being stabbed in your head. It's horrible. It made me want to die, honestly. (laughs) And those went away pretty, pretty soon after working with him. And I started looking up craniosacral therapy for head trauma, craniosacral therapy for epilepsy. And I came across this one guy's um, article about how craniosacral is just relaxation. And you could also say there's no such thing as just relaxation. Mm. Uh, But I think relaxation is the room in which things can be resolved you have to have a baseline of relaxation before the tissue the mind the emotional state can be shifted and here's something we know um in a great little study in psychotherapy what they found was that clients who went to a skilled or just an experienced psychotherapist um, when they when they did like small talk, they had different brain waves. But when they went into like a therapeutic setting where they were they were kind of like sinking in, um, the clients' brains began to echo that of the skilled practitioner. So we know it's it's shown now that a skilled someone who's skilled in self-awareness and awareness can entrain the other and i know that that's one of the things one of the benefits that's come to me through seeing him is being entrained by his more skillful deeper awareness and embodiment wow makes me think of mirror neurons Mm. like there's a mirror happening that you're being uh exposed to like Mm. the difference between Mm. that car ride from hartford (laughs) being with somebody who's just pointing out every horrible nasty negative thing Mm -hmm. that they could think of and going to visit Charles. And mm-hmm. what was so cool for me is like I, I was eagerly anticipating talking to you and debriefing each mm-hmm. uh, session because you were every time you came home and you were very consistent with this. We're, we're talking mm-hmm. we went, we're over a year now oh, of yeah. going every yeah. you were going every week and then it was every other week now. Yeah, now it's every other week. And. For a while there, you were coming home with just profound and deep <laughs> insights into mm. your situation yeah. that uh, were helping you heal also. It wasn't mm-hmm. just the work you were doing mm-hmm. uh, physically with his hands, but mm-hmm. he was helping you understand your situation 
mm-hmm. in a much deeper way that was yes. helping you um, grasp and get a hold hold of it cognitively. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is that, yeah. Yes. And he and he never laid anything on me about um, an illness identity. He said, you know, diagnosis can be helpful because you know what the problem is and how you can resolve it, but you should leave it behind there. And so when I go see him, I'm not an epileptic ever. I've never been that. You know, we mentioned it the first day and then the focus has always been, and you're coming, you're, you're, what are the words he's used that you're fully resolving your challenges and your, your, um, you just are showing so much improvement. There's, there's so, um, yeah, like what can you do and what can you, it's always about like what I'm doing right, what's going well, always keeping my mind focused on the good things. Like it wasn't easy to get off the medication. I mean, it was easier than I, well, I shouldn't say that wasn't getting off the medication was not something I was looking forward to. Um, but I would always talk to him about it and he'd say like, wow, you know, you must feel a lot of hope or mm. like, wow, that's, I'm really happy to hear that. And you know, he would ask me, well, what do you want? I'd say like, I want to get off of this stuff. And he'd be like, okay. And there was never any pressure from him to be a certain way. I, I, he's just shown me how to be well. And that wellness journey is a journey and it's oh, something yeah. that you slide back and move right forward you slide yeah. back you move forward there's no yeah. y- there's no sort of just destination you're always on the journey mm-hmm. and it's like i guess why the word healing is hard because you're never fully healed on yeah, some level you're always immune to anything carry an imbalance with you that you need to know and learn and understand and work with and grow to be able to contain it. Yeah. Right. That's a great way to say it. Mm -hmm. And there's been other things that you've been doing and implementing along the way Mm -hmm. that we want to share. I mean, this is a deep dive into temporal lobe epilepsy Mm. from a, medical western medical perspective Mm -hmm. that we want to cover with the pharmaceutical uh, drugs that you've been taking Mm -hmm. and people take often to um, help them Mm -hmm. and one of the things i i liked was uh dr joe spoke about it being like a cast for your brain yeah that was helpful when you break your arm you need a cast for a while but it's not the cast that heals alone (laughs) It's the body. The cast that allows for healing. healing. Right. It allows for healing, but pharmaceuticals don't always do that. Right. But we're going to cover that. We're going to get into it. And we're going to get into a lot of different uh, aspects of temporal lobe epilepsy over the next uh, uh, few few weeks here. Like, I think we should go to the end of November sharing this. Okay. And... uh, I think it's an exciting journey. I think a lot of people can benefit. And I feel like you are somebody that has a very unique perspective that is going to contribute to society on this topic. Thank you, honey. 
I hope to make a contribution. So let's stay tuned. Check out the Electric Storm podcast. Share it with your friends, with your family, with those you think that could benefit. Make sure you check out ShannonMcCarthy.com for some great artwork and some resources on how you can uh, heal and live a good life with temporal lobe epilepsy and other neurological challenges. Yeah.